the window on the world, an international press review by the European Democratic Party, bringing you weekly news and commentaries that matter. Hello again and welcome to the 17th episode of The Window on the World. Today is Friday, the 1st of July, and in this podcast you will find out more about the latest updates on the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, NATO's enlargement of Finland and Sweden, the summit of G7 countries, and the overturning of the historical pro-abortion Roe v. Wade sentence in the United States. And as always, we will present to you the best editorials and opinion pieces on the issue of abortion in the US and its effects on the European debate and the G7 and NATO summit. And now let's dive right into the most important news of the week. The first update of the day, as we are unfortunately accustomed to, concerns the war between Russia and Ukraine. Fighting continues in Ukraine, and more specifically this week, Russian forces bombarded Kremenchuk, an industrial city on the banks of the Dnipro River, in the center of the country. According to the latest updates provided by Ukrainian authorities, at least 20 people were reportedly killed in the attack, and as many are still missing. Let's stay on the subject of war, but let's now look at how it is changing the European geopolitical balance and talk about NATO enlargement. This week, the summit of the member states of the Atlantic Alliance took place in Madrid. During the meeting, Finland and Sweden signed an agreement to join the Atlantic Defense Treaty. The agreement, which was initially opposed by Turkey, was signed following a promise by the two northern European countries to deal swiftly and comprehensively with pending requests for deportation or extradition of suspected terrorists to Turkey. Still, the agreement shook the Swedish-Kurdish community. Nonetheless, Stockholm's Prime Minister assured that, I know there are people who fear that we will start hunting them down and deporting them. But I think it is important to say that we will always work in accordance with Swedish law and with existing international conventions. Still on the subject of international summits, the G7 also took place this week. In attendance were the heads of state of Italy, Germany, France, the United Kingdom, the United States, Canada and Japan. Several issues were on the table such as energy, aid to Ukraine and developing countries. On energy, there was a heated discussion about imposing a cap on the price of Russian oil. But despite initial enthusiasm, the leaders announced only an agreement to explore a ban on the transportation of Russian oil sold above a certain price. In addition, the seven countries agreed to allocate $600 billion to be invested in infrastructure projects in developing nations. The plan aims to counter a similar investment plan in third world countries put in by China, dubbed the Belt and Road Initiative. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen stated that the measure was designed to show our partners in developing countries that they have a choice. Today as well, the latest updates come from outside Europe and more specifically from the United States. As anticipated in a draft published a few weeks ago, the U.S. Supreme Court, the country's highest court, has decided to overturn the landmark Roe v. Wade ruling of 1973. The ruling in question effectively made abortion legal throughout the country. With this decision, now each individual U.S. state is free to legislate as it chooses on abortion. 
The US Supreme Court ruling was also commented on by the Secretary General of the European Democratic Party, Sandro Gozzi, who stated in a tweet, a step back in women's rights and human rights. This is a decision which can endanger the health and lives of women. The first editorial of the day focuses on the issue of abortion in the United States and how the Supreme Court decision could affect the debate on the issue in Europe. The first commentary on the issue comes from Belgium and from the newspaper La Libre. For journalist Dorian de Moose, we must avoid importing the American debate, divided as it is, into two sides unwilling to mediate. The Supreme Court, with its decision, has thus exacerbated the rift between two Americas that rail against each other, judge each other, and no longer try to understand or listen to each other. For the columnist, this ruling is unacceptable, both in form and substance, and in the consequences it produces. Instead of imitating the American debate, the Moose argues, we should unite and listen to the opinions of the different sides. We must ensure that every woman, whether she wishes to have an abortion or not, feels free in her choice and supported in her journey. No woman should feel alone, abandoned socially, economically or psychologically. The debate is political. The journalist writes in conclusion, but let us never forget that it is also a deeply human issue. With the second editorial, we remain close to Belgium and go to France, to the newspaper Le Figaro. For Ran Halevi, researcher and professor at the Raymond Aron Centre for Policy Research, the Supreme Court has decided to put the issue of abortion back in the hands of Congress. The latter, however, is unable to legislate on abortion because the spirit of compromise has disappeared from public life in the United States. The issue thus passes to the single states, thus fragmenting national law on such a sensitive issue. Moreover, the laws to be enacted on the issue by each state will be easily revisable, according to changes in electoral majorities, creating legal discrimination among individuals based on their place of residence. But Halevi concludes, the original mistake was handing nine people appointed for life and chosen for ideological reasons, the power to determine the fate of an entire nation. The latest article on the subject takes us to Southern Europe, and more specifically to the Italian newspaper La Repubblica. As columnist Ariana Farinelli points out, the Supreme Court decision will directly affect the lives of millions of women. In particular, those who are young, belong to ethnic minorities, or impoverished the kinds of women that most often resort to abortion. Young American women, the article states, now find themselves with fewer rights than their grandmothers. According to a study published in the American Economic Journal, Farinelli observes, women who are denied abortion are more at risk of going into debt, declaring bankruptcy and being evicted, as many of them are already living below the poverty line. But the right to abortion could be only the first to be challenged. Those to contraception or same-sex marriage could suffer the same fate. In light of all this, Farinelli concludes, the midterm elections will be particularly important, as the protection of acquired rights will be central in the choice of many voters. We now completely change the subject for the second set of today's comments to talk about the G7 and NATO summits that took place this week. 
Today's first editorial on the NATO and G7 summits comes from the United Kingdom and the Times newspaper. The British newspaper editorial board maintains that the Ukrainian crisis has reawakened understanding among G7 and NATO member countries. The West seems to have suddenly developed a renewed sense of duty, argues the editorial board of the British newspaper. The editorial goes on to compare the G7 of 2021 with that of 2022. Compared with last year, it appears that the West is determined to follow a globally shared line of action. While China proposes a new Silk Road, US President Biden, on the other hand, has announced a $600 billion joint plan to push less developed countries toward a partnership to emphasize the benefits of working with democracies. But make no mistake, both NATO and the G7 are coalitions of rich countries that want to attract poorer, as yet unaligned nations into their sphere of influence. Along with the shared willingness to support Ukraine's war effort, it can be read in the editorial closing lines. There is only one conclusion to be drawn. The West wants to take back its leading geopolitical role. Today's second commentary on the topic of G7 and NATO meetings, however, comes from Central Europe and more specifically from the weekly newspaper Der Spiegel. In his editorial, Henrik Müller analyzes how the role of the G7 has changed since the 70s and what new challenges it faces. Whereas in the 70s, the G7 countries accounted for half of the world's economic production, now their role is way more diminished, accounting for only a quarter. Now, Muller explains, the West is faced with expansionist adversaries who are expanding their spheres of influence without great scruples and without ideological pretensions. The Russian attack on Ukraine, Chinese expansionism towards Taiwan, and the geopolitical claims of India, South Africa and Saudi Arabia are all unprecedented challenges for the Western coalition. In this scenario, the West can take only one path to demonstrate the superiority of its liberal values, taking into account its own interests, but also the well-being of the rest of the world. The G7 must therefore lay the groundwork for a new scenario, made up of aid to Ukraine as well as to the most problematic parts of Asia and Africa. The meeting in Germany, the editorial reads in conclusion, could turn out to be the most important summit in the history of the G7, a historic crossroads for better or for worse. As it is not hard to imagine, developments in the NATO and G7 summits are also being followed closely across the ocean. So let's go with the latest editorial to the United States and onto the pages of the New York Times. According to Emma Ashford of the Atlantic Council Study Center, Europe's common defense problems are due to American interventionism. Ashford's opinion is that although NATO has regained strength following the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the European Union continues to rely far too heavily on the US in terms of defense. Despite the initial European momentum, its division soon re-emerged, with several countries focused on internal rather than external issues. On their part, the US seems to begin to care more about how much of their intervention is urgently needed in the Indo-Pacific area to handle the threat from China, with the consequence that a crisis elsewhere could result in a hurried retreat, leaving European states high and dry. In conclusion, the columnist writes, in order to solve their own problems, European leaders should begin the hard work of resolving their differences. 
We are at the end of our 17th episode of the podcast, The Window on the World. Before closing, we would like to remind you that on European and international issues, we will continue to update you next week. Research and writing for this episode was done by Daniel Rutza. And behind the mic, it's me, your host, Gail Rago. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, take care and goodbye.